You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 605 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on this fine Monday evening, and most of this podcast will be an interview that I did with Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops, good friend of the program, about Summer League. Uh, Glenn was on the scene in Las Vegas, as I was, and we will talk about everything that, looked, that transpired during uh, Atlanta's stay, and maybe a little bit of off-the-topic of off stuff when it comes to the rest of Summer League. But before we get to Glenn, in a moment, I do want to touch on a couple of things in terms of uh, just some housekeeping items here. Jalen Adams was cut over the weekend by the Hawks. I almost did an emergency podcast, but I realized that I probably talked about Jalen enough to not have to do a separate separate show on that. But Saturday morning, Chris Fivlemore of the AJC reported that Adams was going to be waived by the Hawks, and then that ended up coming, coming to fruition just a few hours later. No surprise whatsoever. Adams, just for everyone that's maybe a new listener, he was owed $100,000 guaranteed, but his his full his full contract, contract was about $1.4 million for next season, and the deadline to guarantee all of that money was July 19th. As a result of that, um, I thought, and I had talked about this quite a few times in the last couple of weeks, that I thought it was going to be unlikely that he was going to be making the team. I definitely would not have kept him based on that number. And the way that he looked in Summer League, he did have a nice uh, nice game at the end of Summer League in the finale that basically no one saw in my experience. But before that, he struggled mightily. And honestly, there's just a better use of that roster spot with someone else. Um, not, not a shot at Jalen. I, I still like his game to some degree, but I think it's pretty clear at this point that he's not an NBA player at this moment. So investing a fully guaranteed contract in him would have been a little bit aggressive for me. It would not blow me away. If, he, if the Hawks were to you know, bring him back on a, on a camp invite, something like that, at this point in time, he's not been signed that I have seen. But for now, he'll be looking for work elsewhere after being uh, the two-way guy last year and then converting in the middle of the season. And that leaves the Hawks with only one point guard, honestly, on the roster as Trey Young. The plan, of course, is to have Evan Turner be the backup point guard. But if something, something were to happen to Trey Young, they don't really have a primary point guard option. They do have DeAndre Bembry. They do have Kevin Herter that can handle the ball a little bit. But I would expect them, and I've said, said this before, I'll say it again now, to sign someone, whether it be a two-way contract. They still, they still have one of those spots available after using Charlie Brown in the other slot. But... um. You know, either with a full roster signing or a two-way contract, I'm expecting a point guard somewhere along the way. But for now, it's just Young and Turner, and we'll see what happens there. But um, you know, Joe Adams, no, no big surprise, and something I've been talking about for a long, long time. So I wanted to at least touch on that briefly, and then we'll we might come back to him with Glenn in a few moments, considering he was on the summer league roster. Last thing that I wanted to touch on was that the over-unders came out for from BetOnline. These are normally a little bit later, but they're getting earlier and earlier, apparently, and uh, BetOnline released their over-under win totals. If you're not, not familiar with this phenomenon, uh, betting sites and betting uh, you know, sports books in Las Vegas eventually will come out with these over-under win totals that basically allow people to bet over or under on, on win totals for the season. And the Hawks' number from BetOnline was 32.5. That places them at number 10 in the Eastern Conference. That's about where you'd think they would be, honestly. You know, earlier in the process, there were some playoff odds that came out last week that kind of put the Hawks in the same spot, number 10 overall in the Eastern Conference. For some reference here, the 32.5 number places the Hawks in between the Pistons, who are ninth in the East, and the Bulls at number 11 in the East. So basically, just puts them just outside the playoffs. You know, 32.5 struck some people as low, uh, at least when I, when I, I wrote about this at PeacherHoops.com. On Monday, I was not surprised by that. You know, normally fans want to want to see the numbers a little bit higher. 
Um, it didn't blow me away. I talked about this a little bit on Twitter, but you know, last season the Hawks won at about a 32, 31, 33 win clip, somewhere around there, basically right at this over and under over under win total when John Collins was playing. They were obviously quite a bit worse than that early in the year when Trey Young was struggling and John Collins was uh, not was not present. After he arrived, though, they were basically just this exact team um, in terms of the over under win total. Now they've had some changes since then. Of course, they've lost Dwayne Dedman, they've lost Torian Prince, they've lost Kent Bazemore. They've added Evan Turner, they've added Jabari Parker, and of course they've added all the rookies, including uh, Bruno Fernando, and in addition to the two uh, top ten top ten and forwards in uh, Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter. So all that said, you know that's basically what you would amount to a neutral uh, evaluation from Las Vegas on this one, or at least for in, this, in this case the offshore books that are posting this stuff right now. Vegas is not weighed in just yet. But you know, you know, I, I see, I sort of see the arguments on all sides. I did say with a gun in my head, I would take the over on this right now. It feels a little bit low potentially, but I also understand how Vegas might get to this point because you know, for me, it's Deadman. It's the big loss that you're talking about here. Deadman was arguably one of the three best players on the team last year, alongside Young Collins. I think I put him right there in terms of the way that he played from start to finish. Um, losing Dwayne Deadman and, and not really replacing him, I think Bruno Fernando and Damian Jones are uh, a big step down from Dwayne Deadman. I understand that Alex Lynn is someone I've liked and have been positive on for a long time, including when they signed him last year, but he's not as good as Dwayne Deadman is. And also, you're factoring in the fact that I, I think that Fernando and Jones are likely to be worse than Len was last year, too. So you're, you're, you're declining at starting center and backup center, most likely. Now, on the wing, uh, Torian Prince, someone I was not in love with, obviously, as a player. If you're an old listener to the podcast, you would definitely know that. With that said, he was an a big time shooter at the very least uh, defensively took a lot off the table, but comparing him, you know, present day sense to the rookies, I'm not sure that's an upgrade. Um, you know, long-term it certainly is with Hunter and Reddish versus Prince, but you know, rookies are generally kind of bad uh, with some exceptions. Obviously Trey Young was pretty darn good last year after he got going and there, there, I mean, Collins the year before that was pretty good as well, but a lot of rookies are not great. So comparing the two rookies in Reddish and Hunter to what Prince was able to give you last year probably isn't a, a defined upgrade. I would say based on just the track record of what the way that, the way that, the, that these things work. And then talking about Bazemore, who struggled last year to, for the most part, after he got hurt at least, he definitely struggled. You have Evan Turner versus Jeremy Lin potentially as well. You have Jabari Parker. It's definitely a talent upgrade on what they had behind John Collins last year, but you have the injuries with Parker. You have the defense with Parker. Uh, Vince Carter off the roster. So, you know, all that to say, I don't want to go, you know, we'll have plenty of time to preview the roster in, in the coming days and talk about predictions and things like that. I thought it was a pretty reasonable projection. I would take the over if you made me choose at this point in time, but Fortunately, I'm not made to choose in July about projected records. The Hawks are going to do something else probably with another roster spot or two, whether it be point guard, etc. So, uh, you know, 32 and a half, food for thought. If you are definitely someone who's excited about investing in the Hawks, I know a good friend of the program, Tower Jones, tweeted that he's going to put his life savings on the Hawks. <laughs> and uh, I think he was kidding to some degree. But um, one of those things where, you know, a lot of Hawks fans thought this is too low. If you think that and you have the opportunity, if you'd like to do so, to go place some money on it, maybe some jelly beans on it, however you want to do that. Um, but for now, 32 and a half is out there and the Hawks are also modest underdogs to make the playoffs in some of the same betting circles. So use that for content and we'll talk more about that in the future. All right, with that said, plenty of content coming with Glenn Willis, but after this short break, please uh, check it out. Our, our sponsors, please subscribe to this podcast um, via the platform of your choice. And uh, after this short hiatus, we'll come back with Glenn and talk all about Summer League. Glenn, thank you for joining me, my friend. I'm, uh, I'm back from Vegas. I think you are as well. And we survived. Yeah, I think I returned one day ahead of you, so that that that's pretty huge in terms of the recovery <laughs> from the Vegas experience and the summer league experience. But I'm I'm almost back to normal, I think. Um, how are you doing? 
Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely. I'm not sure if it's jet lag or just Vegas lag. I was uh, I was dragging today at work at the at the day job on Monday, but I'm feeling okay now. Got some coffee in me, and uh, no more no more bad basketball for a while. I guess actually the summer league title game is being played um, basically as we talk here on Monday night. So maybe I'll watch some of that when we get done. But other than that, no more bad basketball for a while, and we we saw plenty of it. I think you, um, hilariously, I, I think you watched more basketball than I did in Vegas, which is crazy but I, th- I think you did um all told just because of how long you were there uh, all day every day and i was at least able to eject at times I, at times it was a force ejection because i had to do some shifts for uh dime magazine and other things so i actually was like forced to go like work and not sit in the gym but uh, you watched a ton of basketball i'm sure your eyes uh are mad at you still yeah uh, no it's it's a, maybe it's just me getting a little bit old and um being just less uh, abrasive or less critical to what I'm saying, but I actually enjoyed it. I mean, it, certainly the level of talent was down this year because so many of the, the new draftees, especially the first-round draftees, so many of those guys didn't play at all. And the ones that did, like Zion, uh, played a half of basketball, and the Hawks, DeAndre Hunter, played one single game. So, it, But it, it still was fun, good basketball. I mean, guys play hard. They're not the best players, but they play hard and work hard because they're, they're dying for an opportunity. And so from a competitive standpoint, it, it, I think it was still at the same level. It just wasn't, wasn't the talent level. And, yeah, I do kind of go with the primary um, almost singularly, you know, not maybe not so. Um, but my objective is to watch basketball and get a feel for, you know, who's good, who's good at what, who's not good at what, you know, how, how the prospects look and stuff. Where I know a lot of other people go, they're, they're trying to network. And I, have, I do a little bit of that, but not this, ne- nearly the same level as – um, you know, other people there that are really trying to work that network for the you know kind of a unique opportunity that's there. I, so I that, that's like twenty percent of what I do. Where I think folks like you and others, maybe it's kind of you're trying to do half and half, or do uh, you know, more like eighty percent, eighty percent, up to one hundred sixty percent of utilization. Um, but I did watch a, a whole lot of basketball uh, this time. But I, I I enjoyed watching it. So even if it was bad at moments, so. Yeah, I mean it's it's not the greatest quality, but I agree. I mean there's something there's something appealing to the notion that, you know, a lot of these guys are playing for jobs and they're trying to find work. I mean, some of the guys who are more established are safe. Obviously the the, the rookie first rounders and most of the high second rounders are pretty safe and get to get a job, but the guys who were uh, scratching and clawing can make it interesting to watch. There were some better some better games than others, and in fact, you and I were some of the only people in the world that watched that um, the fifth game the Hawks played, the finale that was a ten thirty Eastern time start. Uh, basically, no fans stayed up to watch it because of the fact that DeAndre Hunter wasn't going to play, and neither was Bruno Fernando. But that game was actually one of the better ones, I thought, competitively. Um, you know, the talent wasn't super duper high, but it was it was it was uh, I would say more well played than some of the other ones. Um, even if the again the talent level was not great on either side because the Spurs didn't play their guys either. It was like Thomas Robinson was playing a lot of Hawks legend Thomas Robinson for the Spurs and the Hawks were playing um you know a couple of fringish guys like Joe Adams and Charlie Brown were playing but that was kind of interesting to note in fact uh we should start with Jalen real quick because I, I talked about him a little bit earlier on the intro but now that he's not a mem- member of the Hawks I feel like we should talk about him first briefly to get him out of the way a little bit because I mean I feel bad you know I've always kind of liked Joe Adams but at the same time he really struggled pretty severely in Las Vegas. He shot 25% from the floor. That is not the only thing that matters, but when you're someone like Jalen Adams who needs to make shots, that's his number one trait, in my opinion, always, is his shot making. And 
so when he's when he's not making shots, it kind of combines with everything else, and it becomes an ugly package. And I was not surprised to see the Hawks move on from him. That was kind of the scuttlebutt throughout the week in media circles that that was probably going to happen. No big surprise there. What what'd you see from Jalen? And uh, now that he's not a member of the Hawks, do you think he's someone that other teams should maybe pick up for a two way, or is he a G League guy? Like, what what do you think about Jalen the player as well as the decision the Hawks made? I think he's like the very definition of a, a tweener in the sense that he's not really quite good enough for a guaranteed contract. Uh, but he may be a little too advanced for a straight two-way, but they, he may have no uh, option other than to kind of land where he lands. Um, but hopefully it'll be a, a two-way at least. But, you know, as we've known all along, he's going to have to be a point guard, um, but he's kind of a shoot-first point guard. Um, and he didn't shoot the ball well at all in summer league. I think he was, my notes say, three for 17 from the three-point line, and that's a small sample size. Um, but he, he just didn't look confident in his shot as well. So it was beyond just the statistical. Um, but he's he's also one of those guys that, you know, when he was converted from the two-way after Jeremy Lin was bought out last year to a contract that was um, non-guaranteed for this coming season, that's kind of worse than a guy maybe signing in the summer to a contract that's only guaranteed, that doesn't guarantee fully for the full season until January 10. Yep. And so I, I would expect that now that he's an unrestricted free agent, some team might be willing to give him that contract that Gary only guarantees through January 10 because of the flexibility to create a roster spot if they want to add someone that has more immediate value than he does as a young prospect. Um, so I'm hoping that that's the situation he's in. There's um, The league is a little bit point guard rich right now, but it's not very rich for young guys that can play the position le- legitimately and shoot the basketball. I know I saw him a few times after games and he was um, icing a knee pretty heavily. So I don't know how much that factored into him not having confidence and not looking right as a shooter. Um, he did have one game where he had uh, nine assists and was creating more effectively. And I will say that, you know, that you mentioned that Spurs game that was pretty fun to watch, even though it was pretty vacant of real NBA players. But the Hawks took a 22-point lead in the halftime, and I noted in our Slack channel that Becky Hammonds looked like she really wanted the game like midway through They were the grinding out there, yeah. The Spurs were definitely trying to win that game when they were coming back. They were uh, calling up stuff and pressing, and they were, they were definitely uh, treating that like a real basketball game at the end of that one. They, they were, and so what's notable about that is that their primary strategy was they were going to take away Jalen's creation, ability to create, and they forced Taj McCall, who was a ton of fun this summer league, but in that game he ended up one point, six assists, O of eight from the field, and so part of their big comeback strategy, and I know we might talk about Taj here a little bit more in a minute, oh, yeah. but the Spurs, the Spurs came back by taking Jalen Adams very seriously as the best creator the Hawks had on the court in that game, and, and, and really got back to within single digits after being down 22 at the half, so that, in a way, tells you that Jalen Adams still has something that's worth the other team kind of paying attention to. Now, yeah, in a summer league setting, but I still think he's kind of right on the edge of kind of, um, you know, the, the league in terms of maybe kind of having a, a, a toe in the door still um, just because he can shoot the basketball and he's a, a solid ball handler. But he's always going to be a little bit undersized and a little bit under uh, below average athletically for, even for that position. And so, you know, he's going to have to be a, a pretty knockdown dead bang shooter to, to stick, you know. But I still think he's going to get opportunities for sure. But I, I, I agree with Travis Slank in that he's not worth a, a fully guaranteed contract for a season at this point. Yeah, I mean, he, he has to make shots. That's the thing about Adams. And last year in the G League, he didn't shoot that well. 34% from three is not bad, but he needs to shoot a lot better than that, I think, to make his uh, make his mark. And I, I tend to agree with you that he's, he's kind of a fringe guy. 
the deal that you know it's a multi-year contract that the Hawks gave him last year, but multi-year in quotations because you know he, he got a hundred thousand dollars guaranteed. So that that money he's, he's going to receive if he hasn't already, and that's something for someone like Jalen Adams. But um, the early guarantee date kind of stuck them a little bit here to the point where it was kind of a no-brainer that they had to do this um, this year. You know, it would surprise me if he wasn't somewhere. I mean, he'll be in the G League, I'd imagine, at, at worst, maybe, maybe Europe, and maybe maybe a two-way if he can find one. He's still fairly young. He's 23 years old, so we'll see. But yeah, I think it was, at the end of the day, it's a pretty easy decision. I feel bad saying that, but $1.4 million for Adams at this point in time, it's just that's just too much to be investing in him. Um, you know, the Hawks do need a third point guard, at least in my opinion. Are you of the mind that the Hawks need a third point guard? Because I think that's kind of the consensus, but not everyone agrees. I, I know because they have Bembry and Herter and obviously Evan Turner as the backup, there is some thought that the Hawks could just roll with what they have now, but do you think that they need to sign a third guy either on a two-way or uh, with a full roster spot? I, I think they definitely do. I, I'm, I would be a little concerned if they don't, uh, just given the fact that, number one, one of the most important objectives for this season will be to project Trey from too much workload. Now he handled the physicality of his first year like incredibly more um, successful than I expected. Going into the season, I thought that would be one thing that would be a cause for concern, which is because he's he's so undersized. But he dished out all the physicality, you know, and you know, way more physicality than he took, and I, that just really blew me away. But I think getting a legitimate backup point guard or a third point guard, a, a guy that can just, you know, a shelf a Mac level player to grab a convenient example um, <laughs> that could just, you know, professionally handle the, the, the role, you know, when called upon and those sorts of things, if for no other reason, just to make sure that you can absolutely right size trades work for the year. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that, I don't think whoever they sign, if they do is going to play on, on opening night. I think their, their plan pretty clearly is to go with Evan Turner and that's, that's okay. Um, but, you know, I would probably sign someone who I think is an NBA player, like, you know, you mentioned Shelvin Mack, um, Trey Burke's available, Chase Randall's available. There's some there's some NBA-ish level players that are available out there. Or they can go with the two-way route and try to find the next Jalen Adams, um, but hopefully with someone with a little bit more upside, in my, in my opinion. But, yeah, I mean, it's just another option. And, you know, Trey, by the way, um, you mentioned him dishing out physicality last year and drawing fouls and all the stuff that he was able to do. He's also looking bigger. It's definitely um, social media, and I haven't seen him in person in a while. Um, but he looks like he's put up, put on some good weight, some muscle weight, and that's something he's probably, I'm sure, been trying to do to get stronger because he's, he's going to take a beating. I mean, he took a beating last year and handled it very, very well. But with his style of play and his foul drawing and his creativity, he's going to take some hits. And I think adding some adding some beef there is probably a good idea for Trey. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I, my famous line so far has been, like, what happens to Trey which, if Trey misses two weeks or two months if he gets some freak freak injury? And I'm not sure how they would operate right now if Trey Young missed any, missed any, any level of time. And obviously Trey, Trey Burke or Jason Randall is not going to help that. But at the same time, it helps a little bit to have another point guard on the roster because right now, if Trey Burke, if Trey Young gets hurt, I should I should say, they're in some trouble. I mean, they already would be in either way. So I guess that's the uh, that's the counterfactual here is that they're they'd, they'd be in big trouble regardless. But at least they'd be able to function at that another point guard if they have to go to a, into a, a slate of games with Evan Turner, DeAndre Bembry, and Kevin Herter as the point guards. That's not ideal. I mean, they they could do it because and and they're probably going to lose, but they, they could uh, certainly try it. But uh, yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be great. Yeah, if, if Trey goes down, it's kind of a loss cost from a wins-losses perspective. It is. It's if over. That's even like <laughs> this year. 
But but the real concern you have is the development of like Fernando and the next step with John Collins and DeAndre and Hunter. Herder, I mean, Hunter and all those guys, yeah, for sure. Because the, the value Trey has in their development is he, he can feed those guys, and those guys can get you know real opportunities uh, in the role that's being kind of carved out for them. And we could talk about whether Cam Reddish is going to play some kind of point guard this year. That's been talked about. Be an about. option. Yep. Yeah, as well. But like, if Trey went down, I think that not having uh, at least an average passer at the experienced average passer at the point guard position would really limit the development of some of the other players that are really important to you know future future seasons. And on top of that, if for example, Bembry doesn't seem on track for them to um, you know have him on the on the books beyond the season, let's say he's you know kind of underwhelming. There's no reason to necessarily keep him on the roster for the entire season if that's if that's where he's heading, right? And you never know if Evan Turner might be a buyout candidate if he has interest in going somewhere else. If they're going to pay him next year, you can't if if he wants to go land somewhere where he might be able to kind of, um, you know, maybe find a place where he could be valued beyond this season as well. It's a, I just think there's so many different roster kind of uh, forks in the road as well, where you have to think about you know the guys that you're talking about starting the season. Playing the backup point guard position positionally, there's no there, there's many um, outcomes that would could end up with one or more of those guys not even being on the roster for the full year, which to me supports going and find another another point guard uh, before the season starts. Yeah, just just having someone available is is useful. Even if it's, even if it's, if it's the two way. I mean, the first two years of the Travis Schlenk era, they basically used the two way spot or one of the two one of the two two way spots on the third point guard. It was Josh Majette the first time, and then Jalen Adams last year. Um, I didn't necessarily love that, but it, it did make some sense with what they were able to do there to kind of have your emergency backup point guard. Um, but now that they have, they don't really have a second point guard. I mean, Evan Turner is going to be doing that, but last year they had Jeremy Lin. They didn't really need a third point guard because Jeremy Lin was an overqualified backup point guard. Um, now they don't really have that player, so we'll see what they do uh, in the future, but I think, it's, uh, I think we agree they need to sign somebody, and we'll see... What happens there? Um, we, we mentioned Ken Reddish. I, was, I wasn't going to ask you about him, but now that we talked about him, I, I guess I should ask you about Reddish. He didn't play, obviously, in Las Vegas um, and wasn't ever going to play in Las Vegas based on um, what we heard at the draft, etc. But um, what did you make of that selection? I mean, I'm not going to put you up too much on the spot with draft, with draft stuff, but the fact that he, I think Lloyd Pierce said on the broadcast, I missed this one because I was in the arena, but references as a backup point guard option on the broadcast, there's some... Interesting stuff with Cam Reddish, and there's some wide opinions on him between, I know Hawks fans are very, very high. I kind of like Cam Reddish, but then there were some draft people that did not love him in, in the draft based on what he was able to do at Duke. So where do you kind of fall on him, and what do you see his role being? Because at the moment, he probably has to play on this team, but at the same time, uh, just because of where they are, but at the same time, he wasn't a very good college player, and usually rookies are bad, so that combination is kind of perilous too, so I can kind of see all sides on that one. Yeah, so I'm excited, but also realistic about the the fact that there are some statistical kind of um, analytics that forces you to admit that no player who ever put up those numbers at the collegiate level ever became anything real <laughs> at the NBA level. And for those people who just can't look past those collegiate numbers, I get why they're kind of just out on him. But I thought he was a more than reasonable pick where they were were, were drafting him, um, tenth overall. I wrote his draft profile for Peace Hoops, and one of the I things that. That, yeah, that I really focused on was, yeah, statistically, he was horrible last year. And we could, and everybody's talked about it. There's nothing new. The spacing was terrible, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the, you know, but the thing that really kind of forced me to kind of go back and look at what he was doing was finding out that he had a, some sort of core muscle injury, and then he ultimately had surgery. And that the recovery from that is why he didn't play in summer league. But I went back and watched more tape after learning that, 
And I really opened my eyes about his lack of ability to finish at the rim, despite, you know, especially for a college player, he's just a massive, long dude and a really athletic guy as well. I mean, he's not like a really super explosive athlete, but he's a plus plus athlete in my mind. But, you know, he would he would be like trying to finish at the rim of a guy like 6'2", 6'3", 180 pounds. A guy he's just way bigger than. And he would not open up the core of his body to contact. He would not extend, you know, his his arms and, you know, his, his um, point of release. Um, and so he looked really, really physically cautious to me. I, so I, I can't, you know, prove today that that was the primary thing that was holding him back from being really effective last year at Duke. But it, it makes me curious if, you know, that was the primary thing holding him back. And, um, you know, one of the first things I'll look for, the first opportunities we get to see these guys play is how aggressive is he going into a crowd, you know, with the ball? Because I think that's really going to tell us a lot about, no, the injury wasn't a major part of that, or yes, the, major, the injury was a major part of that. But I, I, in terms of the value at that spot, I, there were guys still on the board that I'd hire on my board, but um, but that's just a Glenn point, <laughs> data point. Uh, but I thought it was a very reasonable, and I'm I'm excited about what he could be, but also realistic that um, you know he may not be the guy that everybody thought he was going to be a year ago. That's probably improbable at this point to be that good. Um, but there's some pretty good likely outcomes that could be fun and exciting. So I'm, I'm cautiously excited about his uh, uh, status as a prospect right now. And, and I think that if you just look at um, him, like I, I also talked in his uh, pro draft profile about not shoving him in somewhere where he might be the best player on the team as a rookie. Like, you know, that could have been Chicago potentially, depending on how you look at it, or New York and things like that. So I think him coming into Atlanta where – Trey is the primary creator, no doubt about that. John Collins is, you know, going to probably be their leading scorer. So he doesn't have to handle any of those types of primary responsibilities. He can just settle in and kind of not uh, deal with expectations that he might have in another environment. And from that vantage point, I thought the Hawks were kind of maybe the ideal organization for him. Yeah, it's a great spot for Cam. I think almost everybody agrees with that, and we'll see how he looks. Uh, I do remember that you wrote that, so I wanted to. I feel like I was probably okay teeing you up on that one a little bit. Sure. But uh, yeah, I, it's uh, a situation where I be his his evaluation is really tricky. We talked about that with you know me and a ton of other people on this podcast throughout the whole process. People that do this for a living, like Sam Bassini and Coles Wicker, people that you know, it's 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 a really tricky one. I mean, Cam. How do you how do you weigh a guy who was an awesome high school prospect is extremely talented in a lot of different ways, but was also bad in college, and part of that was system, part of it was maybe the injury that you cite, and it's just a really tough evaluation. I I like to pick it's it's just it's good value there I think so we'll see what happens. I wish I wish he, I wish he would have been able to play in summer league, but um you know we'll see what he looks like in October and beyond that. Um. From Reddish to DeAndre Hunter, uh, who played one game in summer league. I know you were there for it. I was there for it. Um, obviously, it would have been great. It would have been better for evaluation purposes if he was able to, able to play more than he was able to play. It was 21 minutes of summer league basketball um, due to the late arrival and the early exit with the knee injury. I've, I've been told, by the way, numerous times that his knee injury is nothing serious. Uh, so I'll reemphasize that again now. So I'm not worried about that in any, any way, shape, or form. But um, what did you see of Hunter in his very, very brief stay? in summer league and uh, what are you expecting from him this season? Because uh, at least in my opinion, he's probably gonna be the starting small forward opening night, which for a rookie is not always the greatest thing in the world, but he is a little bit older, more established guys. Maybe he's up to it. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that, you know, it's not um, a surprise if you kind of look at the last two drafts part of this one, Travis Lake was really valuing young guys. You know, Trey played one year, John played two. 
Um, and now maybe feeling like the, that core is a little bit down the road. Some made some progress to get an older guy that's maybe kind of not going to come in and be behind them, but maybe be a little closer to where they are than if they were drafted, you know, a one and done guy at that spot. So that, that kind of makes sense to me. But the, I mean, it's such a small sample size, especially when you remember that he had zero practice time with this group of players. Literally um, zero. <laughs> yeah. um, so what I noticed was on the ball and pick and roll situations or in DHO situations, he seemed um, not necessarily hesitant, but just a little bit indecisive. Like he wasn't sure what he was seeing and the read, and the reads were just kind of a tick or too slow. It wasn't anything that's like, Oh my God, this is like a, a, a black hole in his area of play. Um, and then when I compare that to how he looked in, in the one handful of opportunities he got to operate with his back to the basket on the mid post kind of attacking in isolation, he looked, really confident in what he was doing and really, really decisive. And so I try not to put too much on what he looked like kind of as a ball handler and ball screen opportunities because, A, he didn't do hardly any of that at Virginia. They let him play in isolation and just kind of relied on their general offensive principles of screening away from the ball and, and moving the ball and those sorts of things. But, you know, I think that I don't know how many, how many pick and rolls he's going to be asked to run, even like in his third year because there's there's so much – ball handling already in this core with Trey and with Herder. Um, and then also you know, all the talk we're hearing about Collins um, being developed into maybe potentially before too long, we'll seeing him in those actions as a ball handler as well. Uh, so, you know, I would imagine that his primary value is play defense, uh, run to the corner and provide spacing, but maybe uh, he could be good enough to help, um, you know, create some offense on, on second units at some point in his career. But yeah, he I I gave him a, like an A plus on what I saw in terms of his confidence and just his um, ability to attack immediately with his back to the basket or his face up game. But I, he's going to have to make some progress if he's going to be relied upon to to work in ball screen action. Um, you know, this year, next year, what have you? So that's what I saw. And then the one game he played in, where there were a million fouls called, and so no, oh, no, it was, it was neither, unwatchable. <laughs> neither team could like even finish a, a complete defensive possession. So I got no reading on his like ability as a professional NBA level defender because the game was just too choppy. So that's my takeaway from that 21 minutes. I think it was. Yeah. I almost want to just like ignore it all, almost altogether, which I'm pretty much going to do, but I mean, it's, I agree with what you saw out of, out of Hunter. He did a couple of things that you wanted to see him do. Um, it's, a, it's a small sample size. I wasn't really worried about too much there. And I think, um, it's a good thing for him that he'll be a uh, he'll definitely be a secondary option early on in his career, if not entirely in his career. But you know, early on, even if he is starting at, at the three, which I think he's probably going to, it's going to be him as the fourth or fifth option offensively. Like he's definitely behind Trey and Collins and Herder, I would imagine, in the pecking order offensively um, right away, which is probably good. Just to let him ease in, let him be the defensive player that they hope he can be. That's something that they've talked about repeatedly. It's not a big surprise given what he was uh, evaluated to be coming out of college, but. All the discussions from Travis Schlenk uh, on down have been about his defense first, and that's what they were picking, I think, to a certain extent. Yeah. Offensively, um, there is some talent there, but um, defense is the biggest part of it, and I agree there wasn't too much you could take away from the Summer League yeah. game. And Summer League is a bad, uh, is a bad defensive environment anyway for most guys. Like yeah. You can see some on-ball stuff, but um, for the most part, trying to evaluate guys in schemes is kind of a perilous exercise. Yeah, the one other thing, the one other observation that I almost forgot to say was, you know, Hunter famously only worked out for Atlanta, Yep. And Atlanta was obviously very, very invested in him because basically from looking back at how it transpired, they were going to make whatever move they had to make to get up to get him. 
And, you know, it kind of became a, a game of chicken between the Timberwolves and the Hawks in terms of who was going to go up to get their guy. And we'll never know for sure if the Timberwolves were um, looking at anyone besides Culver. Um, but one thing I like is that after watching Hunter be a little bit indecisive in the first quarter, when they started the second half, they ran a play to get him a shot specifically. They took the, completely took the, re, the need for him to read the play off of his plate and just created a three-point shot uh, with an ATO. And so that that gave me a little bit of um, kind of sense of feeling encouraged that, okay, that he didn't ever in practice, but they diagnosed in his first summer league game, okay, he's not really feeling confident, so let's run a play for him. And after he got that shot and knocked it down, it looked like he settled in a little more. So it's like that's encouraging from the vantage point of the Hawks maybe feeling like they really do know what they have in Hunter. This was kind of a microcosm, but it, it made me feel like, okay, yeah, they, they know how he takes and when he's – maybe not feeling the most confident. They know how to get him to, into something that, that builds his confidence in, in that setting. So that was encouraging to see too. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree. And uh, all the weirdness there, I mean, with I'm, I'm gonna, we'll, transition, we'll transition now into Bruno Fernando. Those two guys had so much weirdness coming in with all the NBA machinations not being able to practice and being sort of around the team and sort of not around the team and um, having their intro presser after their first game and just all this craziness. Um, Fernando, Fernando didn't end up playing more minutes. He played three games, about 80 minutes or so in summer league um, wasn't efficient as an offensive player in terms of his actual shooting. I think he shot like 31% from the floor, which is pretty ugly for a, for a big man, but showed a lot of flashes. I thought athletically to be sure um, there was one memorable like pull up jump shot that he took that looked like it was a guard taking it, even though he's like a six, six, 11 monster of a figure physically, but had some, you know, misgivings as well as young big men do. But what'd you see from Bruno and uh, how'd that make you think about him translating forward uh, as a rookie and beyond that? Well, I was most impressed. Oh, I mean, he kind of exceeded my expectations as a defender. Um, yeah, because I agree. There, were, there were times at Maryland that he would really get, get lost and, and lose track of where the ball is and, and, and not have his timing as a help uh, defender at the rim, you know, be on at all. And, but when they were settled into defensive half court, I thought he did a great job of tracking where the ball was. I think, you know, consistently he showed uh, kind of a, uh, the right amount of support at the ball screen and still recovered and got back to this guy either to defend him or to box him out if the shot went up. And then uh, I, I talked with, with Kevin, I think, last week about how in transition defense, he looked like he just was totally lost. It's like he didn't have a feel for how fast the ball was coming at him. Should he step up in front of the rim or, you know, and he just kind of would, you know, do the Olay defense and stuff. That got a little better each game. So I think it's a long-term um, kind of area of concern, but I mean, he's a big man NBA rookie who's young, so he's anybody in his spot has a long way to go. Uh, he has a long way to go, but he showed me at least a few things that are encouraging there. I think the most encouraging thing were um, I think he got 10 blocks in 81 minutes, but it wasn't necessarily the number, it was he was blocking the shot at its apex, and he wasn't yep. really so. I thought that was a good indication that maybe he's not going to be quite as foul prone as a young guy as he otherwise would if he were, you know, a little bit like Mitchell Robinson who can block like eight shots a game, especially several league setting, but was gonna get eight thousand in the process. He looked <laughs> a little bit, he just looked more under control than I expected. And then on the offensive end, he looks like a guy who I don't know when he was practicing, when he's working out with his personal development coach, uh, is working on taking a lot of shots that he'll probably never get to take in the NBA game. Yeah, the, so the, I, fit, the I, fitway jumpers are uh, not going to be ideal, I don't think. For uh, Yeah, uh, I, I know, and I was I, I was having some fun with you on Twitter when I said, what if someone told Hakeem to not work on <laughs> <laughs> That's not my expectation for Fernando. 
So the high level, um, Fernando exceeded expectations as kind of managing defensively the ball screen, getting back and recovering, showing the right amount of support, uh, blocking the shot at the apex of the shot. And then offense, again, he was taking shots. You know, let him have fun in summer league. Where he's not going to do that in the regular season, but the shot looks functional. And then we'll see kind of what what their plan is for him offensively as the development plan for this year, given they'll probably mostly be off the ball, but he's, you know, has something to offer as a, as a diver and playing off the ball. So, um, you know, uh, for where they picked him, he did, I think he did fine. And was, it did even a little better than I expected, uh, given how under control he was as a defender. So that's kind of my summary thoughts on him. Yeah, I think defensively, I agree. I think it was a little bit better than I thought that I would have thought because, you know, young, young big men um, are sometimes just not, you know they're not where they're supposed to be, and they're just rookies looking like rookies. He'll be 21 in August. He's not he's not super duper young, but I think he um, obviously physically is developed and um, is ready to go right away, given his, uh, his his physique and his athleticism and his length. The block shots are encouraging. Offensively, um, he'll be asked to do a lot less, I would imagine, in the uh, in an NBA setting right now than he was in summer league, and that's just fine too. I think he looked pretty good uh, as a general rule. Like it wasn't like you know off the charts dominant, but he had some really encouraging moments. Um, he had some rookie moments, which is going to happen, and I thought he was uh, pretty pretty okay, pretty solid, which is all you can really ask for um, for where he was picked and all that and all that fun stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. One, just one last thought there. Yeah, I forgot. We always do this, but. Um, Given what his offensive role will be this year, I think it was important to note that the ball did not stick with him. He did what he was basketball. Yep. And so that, I think that's encouraging for for the fact that he'll embrace his role and, and those sorts of things. And he, I, I, it's funny, the one game I – I think it was the one game I saw or just the first game where he and Amari played together, he was making reads faster than Amari was. So I consider Amari a, a pretty high IQ player. And so just as a passer and moving the, the basketball – given that he's going to need to just kind of move the basketball, set a screen, find something constructive to do. I saw a bunch of that, so that's encouraging too. Yeah, I mean, he he's definitely a willing passer. I, I think, you know, part of it at Maryland was that he forced some stuff as a passer, like his turnover rate was really high. I think he was um, he was asked to do a lot for them last season, probably too much. But he is certainly someone who can pass and is willing to do that and makes make some pretty impressive reads at the college level, just a little bit, um, probably, you know, forced some of it. But I think with less usage, that will hopefully, you know, his ball movement will, will definitely improve um, and something, that's something that's definitely there in his game. So I think he'll fit. I think it's part of the reason why the Hawks liked him is that he's multidimensional offensively. Not going to be someone that they, that they necessarily run stuff through, but he can move the ball. He can function. I think his, his jump shot is going to be useful down the line as well. So he checks a lot of boxes for them. And uh, I think that's uh, good that you mentioned that because I probably should have done that as well. So, um we can move on from Bruno before we get to uh, before we get to the last couple guys that I wanted to reference, and we'll, we'll end with Charlie Brown and Taj McCall. Anybody else that you want to talk about? Because one of the big questions that I got kind of throughout the process was, are any of these guys that are not on the roster worth discussing? We'll definitely talk about McCall because I know everybody loves McCall. But anybody else that jumped out to you? I think Matt Mooney was the guy I got the most questions about. Maybe Jordan Seibert based on his one shooting barrage. But not a ton of guys that I think have any chance to be on the actual roster next year, which is why I didn't spend too much time on those guys. Yeah, Seibert to me, just like hit them quickly, looks like a guy who could make a good living in Europe. He can um, shoot. Yeah, he can shoot the basketball. That's valuable over there. He can create his own shot. He's not going to create a whole lot of shots for his teammates, and he's not going to be a stellar defender. But a lot of European teams build like really big at the four and five, and they want a one, kind of like um, you know Malcolm did when he was over there before he came to the Hawks, created his own shot, and was an MVP uh, in, in a league over there. So he, he kind of fits that a little bit um, in terms of the profile. And then Mooney, 
not an NBA prospect right now, but looks like a guy you would feel really good about having on your G League. We're kind of running your G League team potentially, you know. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if if he had a good experience with the Hawks and they with him that they look at some finding a way to get him to College Park and kind of letting him be the you know the the point guard on that team. I know he's not a real point guard, but he he can he's solid enough that I think that you could trust him to run your elite team and make sure that everybody got the right touches and stuff. Anybody else besides those other guys? Um, no, I don't. I, <laughs> not really. Well, Bear, Bearfield is a guy I'm curious about, and I wrote a little bit about him in the last game follow-up um, in that where we'll talk about McCall in a minute, but McCall really struggled to finish at the rim. Bearfield could get to the rim and finish and uh, a decent shooter. And he was a high usage guy on one of the better teams in the country um, you know, last year. So we only got to see like basically one game. I don't know what to make of it, but he kind of popped in the one game he played in. So, yeah, I, I agree on Bearfield. He, he was, he was a late ad. He was on the summer league roster until they had the guys, you know, not show up slash, get traded, et cetera. So they brought him in as another body, and he actually looked pretty good at the end of there. But I think, you know, same thing. Um, Mooney is the one, you know, my thing with Mooney, and I like him quite a bit. I referenced it even before they started summer league play. He was a guy I was at least looking for on this team because he can shoot and he can guard. Um, the question with Matt Mooney is that can he handle the ball? And I think when they let him play point guard a little bit against some pressure, he didn't handle it all that well. Um, and that's not a big surprise. He wasn't really a point guard at the college level. He played a little bit there. But he that's the one thing he would need to do to, in, in order to play point guard in the NBA or at a high level is just clean up the ball handling a little bit. Um, I, I generally agree. I think I think same thing, um, kind of similar and different – I mean, di- different – skill sets to Jordan Seibert, but probably going to be a good European player. Um, and we'll see what happens other than that. But I, I do like Matt Mooney's game. It's not necessarily from an NBA standpoint right this second. Everybody else, you know, Nick Ward had a nice game to end, to end the run, and I know the Hawks guys liked him. Thomas Wimbush, has, you know, played hard. Um, who else am I missing here? Uh, Amin Noir shot the ball well. They like his shooting. That's kind of all I can tell you about that. Um, and that's pretty much it. Lane Lucas didn't really play. So, um, And Reed Travis did Reed Travis stuff. If you saw him play in college, you probably saw the experience <laughs> with the Hawks. Um, yeah, it said a lot about those other bigs that when Thomas Robinson was in the game for the Spurs in the second half, Foster really only trusted Ward to be physical enough to deal with that. So that yeah, a lot I mean, and Ward, Ward played a lot of minutes in that last game. That was not a coincidence. He is big and physical. That's kind of all he is, but he right. can do that. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a good point that you're making there. They did, they did, they at least trusted him. He played in all five games. Um, it's kind of funny. The guys who played in all five games were Matt Mooney, Nick Ward, Thomas Winbush, and Reed Travis. That tells you a lot about the way that Summer League went. For, yeah, for the yeah. And it's, and it's, it was my fifth week, my third Summer League to observe. Every team is just looking to get like three or four big guys that have some basic skill just to kind of round out their roster. And that's kind of what Ward was. And that's kind of what the other guys were, just placeholder type bigs. I hate to kind of be that dismissive of them, but that's what half of the bigs at Summer League are just guys that are big enough to set screens and kind of get, stay in front of the basket. That's good good enough. That's what they were, to be sure. Uh, all right, let's go Let's go to Taj McCall. Um, fan favorite, Peastry Hoops favorite, Taj McCall. Um, I, I, I tweeted this out. I actually look kind of smart, at least occasionally. But before Summer League started, I tweeted out after talking to some people in Vegas that a lot of people that I had talked to said that they think that they, that they thought McCall was the best prospect the Hawks had that wasn't currently on the roster already. And I had not seen a ton of him, so I watched a little bit of him after hearing that from some people. I was like, oh, I kind of like this guy. And then he came in after uh, you know he, he had he had the minor injury uh, during the week, but played four games, led the team in minutes actually, at least on a per game basis, and. Um, 
I kind of fell in love with him. Now, NBA NBA wise, I'm not sure, but you know, he guards like crazy. Uh, Greg Foster, who was the summer league head coach, referred to him as a junkyard dog, and that's the way he plays. He plays with a smile on his face, but he plays really hard. I talked to Taj three or four times during the week. He's um, you, you kind of have to love him personality wise as well. He just enjoys playing defense. He talked about that, which of course appeals to me. If people, I'm sure, are laughing as they listen to this now, the guy who plays defense really hard appeals to me. But that's true. Um, but of course, he's not very big. He isn't a great finisher. He's not a great shooter. So he is drawbacks as well, but uh, what would you make of Taj McCall, by the way, who led the team in rebounding um, after Spellman left, uh, despite being, I, I think, like 6'3", maybe 6'4", standing next to him. I'm, I'm not sure where he's listed at, actually, in front of me right now, but there's no way he's bigger than 6'4", 6'5", at the absolute most, so that's worth finding a way to. Yeah, the rebounds were just, I think that was just about his activity in general. Which he just was plays like hard. A, <laughs> plays hard, he wants the basketball. If you have the basketball, he wants to get it away from you. Um, if the guy he's guarding is casual with the basketball at all, he just rips it and just takes it away. Uh, so he was just a ton of fun to watch um, just because he just he does everything that you look for uh, a guy defending at the point of attack. And then he's also just a really smart help, help defender and off-ball defender. And so many times his guy would kind of wander over towards the ball handler and Todd would be like, okay, I'll double for a couple seconds here and see if I can create you know a, a pass that I can get a, 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 a finger on you know and just looking for deflections and just looking to you know so i you know i i called him a, i don't remember where the definition of a defensive playmaker and he was just all over the place um and then uh, the big questions for him is in terms of is he a real nba player all come like you referenced on the offensive side his shot looked fine to me it looks workable there's nothing like really noticeable in terms of there being any kind of serious flaw to his shooting motion but Two up until summer league, his, his career numbers have been awful. So that you know, that says that says and more everywhere, than, not not just, not just in the pros too, like G League, yes. college. He's never he's never made shots ever. Yeah, he knocked, a, knocked, from, from the perimeter anyway. Yeah, he knocked down four of eight. So I'm going to use this. I'm not going to use that sample size to build my confidence. <laughs> yes, um, but but to, but to the point we were kind of talking about where Jalen looked in, unconfident in the shot. Todd's looked as soon as the ball in his hands. If they ignored him, he's like, I'm going to put the shot up, and that says at least a little bit, but, but I think the biggest area is kind of where the Spurs really exposed him in the second half of the last game that the Hawks played in Vegas was they're like, we're not going to let Jalen Adams create offense and initiate offense. We're going to force Taj McCall to do it. And he absolutely failed. And yeah, Mooney, had, Mooney had to go in there and, and uh, basically cut point point guard, uh, co-point guard with Jalen sorts of things. Um, and, and mostly it's about his dribble. Um, so if you watch advanced ball handlers, when they're kind of coming downhill off of a screen, which is what the Hawks want their point guards to do. In fact, I think the post-game audio you got from Foster talking about Adams was that, you know, one thing he wanted to see more of was attacking uh, when coming off the pick and roll instead of kind of just slipping back behind the three-point and taking a shot. The, the, the attack is where they really get the passing and what they want. So when Taj, anyway, good ball handlers, they kind of get lower to the ground and their knees keep the ball near their body. If they Sometimes it's even useful for when they dribble in between their legs because it's you know within the frame of their body and it's kind of safe. If you watch Taj, he gets crazy wide with the basketball once he's kind of attacking with the dribble and has a tendency to want to be upright and kind of move the ball left, right, left, right. And then that's why he's so turnover prone because he just really – gets the ball very far from his body in that situation. It, it, has he been working on that forever? I have no idea. Is, yeah. you know How correctable is it? Yeah, so anyway, Taj McCall checks. I think for a guard, checks kind of all the boxes on defense. There's um, nothing that question marks on the offensive side of his, his kind of profile. 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I, I looked up now. He'll be 25 later in August. Um, and as a result of that and the offensive limitations, you know, he's not an NBA player right now. Um, I, I, the story was awesome. I really enjoyed him. And uh, I think if I had to sign one guy off the team that was not currently um, – you know, not currently on an NBA roster, he would be the guy I'd sign. But, you know, still, 25-year-old, they can't really shoot, and is not huge. Like, if he was 6'7", he'd be a real thing. Um, but other than that, it's uh, kind of what it is. I, I still like him quite a bit. If the, if the Hawks sign him today to a two-way contract, I would not I would not criticize that because I, I, really, I really do like him. And if you fix his jump shot, then he becomes interesting. Um, it's just that's the, that's the big question. He's got to be able to shoot or finish at a high, high level, and neither one of those are really the case at this moment. Um Unless you have more on Taj McCall, we could finish, we could finish with Charlie Brown, who is going to be on the team um, and does have the size and the shooting ability. Six seven seven foot wingspan out of St. Joe's, the two way contract guy who really shoots it very well. He's not shy. In fact, Greg Foster repeatedly talked about how he's not scared, and that was my way, his sort of tongue in cheek way of saying that Charlie is not um, not afraid to shoot. Uh, he's willing to fire away, and that's what they like about him. That's why he's there. That's why he's on the team. That's why they signed him is for his shooting and his and his length, and that's kind of what you're looking for you know I'm not sure what it's going to be because defensively it's kind of a mess right now and I think they all kind of know that but you know you six a guy who's six seven with long arms that can shoot the three is you know interesting at the very least yeah I saw, definitely saw the value there he when you watch him play he's bigger or long at least longer than all the other wings that that are trying to d him up you know he just has the ability to get to the rim and finish over them has a lot of confidence getting to the rim um didn't uh shoot it Oh, like awesomely from the three-point line, but I think it was just 15 shots, so that's the sample size you're not going to really do much with. Um, defensively, uh, maybe not a surprise. If he was any better defender, he's probably a, at least a semi-draftable guy in the, in the draft class, but he just has a long way to go on defense. But, you know, I think that if you're looking at a two-way contract, you want a guy with uh, a lot of offensive upside, that you can hopefully feel like you can develop as a defender. And so I think he's the best player they've had on a two-way contract since that became a, a thing. Um, as much as I love Tyler Cavanaugh, I'll have to say that <laughs> Charlie Brown's better than him. I can, uh, I can already tell you that, Je- that Jeff Siegel is yelling at you about Alex Poitras right now in, into, yeah. into his headset, but uh, I understand. Yeah. And on top of that, I was, I was going to say he's also the best kind of wing prospect. That's, you know, they've, they've brought through like Andrew White, Damian Lee, Charlie Brown's brought in those guys. And Antonius Cleveland, don't forget yeah. the legend. Yeah, but, and then uh, somebody was playing for one of the other wings is playing for the, the Nets, and I can't remember which one. Oh, uh, Jalen Morris, I think, is playing for the Nets. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, uh, but but he, he's better than all those guys as a prospect. I'll put it that way. And if Jeff feels like Damian Lee's a better player, then he can make that argument. But uh, no, <laughs> I, I'm excited about him on, on that two way spot, and, and and we'll see how it works out. But uh, I think I I think he's you know pretty advanced offensively as a guy that could be kind of a second unit scorer. You know, before too long, so long as he can. Um, learn how to do something besides just die on every screen on defense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was uh, I, I watched some film of him. Um, I, I knew who he was already from doing draft stuff, and he was a guy who was generally like in like the eighties and nineties on people's boards, so not not fully undraftable, just kind of off the radar a little bit. Um, and the biggest reason for that was that he didn't defend at all in college, and I'd heard that from people that covered the draft, and then I watched it with my own eyes on tape in college. It was not great, and then it was not great again in G League. But I mean, sorry, in, in summer league, um, he's going to try, I'm sure, more because he'll just have to in the professional level, and that's kind of the question. I think I think he knows it, uh, judging by just talking to him, and I think the coaching staff obviously knows about it as well. That's what they have to work on. But I am all in favor of taking a 
clear and concise chance on someone who has the tools. Like he's super long and he can shoot. And that at a position like that, if you think there's any chance he defends, then you just sign him and figure it out, and that's what they did. So I'm I'm on board with you. I think he's I think he does have the highest upside of anybody that, that they've had on a ten day or a two way contract in the last two two or three seasons, and um you know at the very least that's something to you know hold on to. He's going to be in College Park for most of the next season. I'd be pretty surprised if he spent too much time in Atlanta just because of all the wings that are going to be ahead of him. Just looking at it, you know he's definitely a two three pure wing at this point in time, and you have Herder, you have Bembry, you have Crab. You have both of the top ten rookies all ahead of him in the uh, and really maybe even Evan Turner too if he was to look on, on the wing. So you have lots and lots of bodies ahead of him in the, in the pecking order. So it's going to either take some injuries or something to get him on the court in Atlanta. Um, but because he'll just be down the road in College Park, that gives you more access and maybe he'll just have him around to learn from the learn from the other guys and just I, I did enjoy talking to him as well. So. I'm kind of in on Charlie Brown. We'll see how that all works out. But uh, the skill set is uh, clearly defined. There's pros and cons to that because you know what he can't do too. But um, I'm on board with what he can do, which is kind of all that matters right now. Yeah, and on on defense, while he's uh, you know a terrible defender at the moment, he, he at least has the length and he at least has yep. you know, decent athleticism and decent foot speed for the position. And so there's not any kind of physical area of his profile that would tells you that he just can't do it. You know, kind of like where. As opposed to Daniel Adams, we always knew he was going to be a little bit slow for the position, a little bit undersized for the position. He has all the size and enough quickness and enough bulk to be able to kind of defend at the point of attack if he can learn to, to um, execute technique-wise. Yeah, he's a solid athlete, which is another reason why you might be encouraged. Um, and, you know, obviously in college he was the number one option offensively, as most guys that are going to be drafted are top, top-tier options. Now... That's probably out the window in the pros. So maybe maybe that you know he can shift some of the energy that you would use on offense to defense. That doesn't always work, but occasionally it does. And maybe that's part of the part of the issue that he was not just playing with a ton of energy, a ton, ton of effort in college defensively. And maybe that'll ratchet up now that he's just going to have to defend in order to play at that um, at that level. Um, we've covered a lot of ground here. Um, anything that we have not touched on, Glenn, that you want to get to? And if not, um, plug yourself. You have a podcast with uh, you and your brother Greg. That's fantastic that I always listen to. And uh, you're writing a piece of hoops, et cetera, et cetera. P- t- please uh, plug yourself if you have nothing else to share. Yeah, I, I'll do a lot of plug. I just want to ask, who is the best player you saw th- this year? Ooh, in summer, like all together? Um, yeah. The best play. I mean, the best, this is this is definitely cheating. The best player in summer league the, the the best player that played summer league basketball was Jared Allen. Like he should not have been playing basketball yeah. in summer league, but um he's probably the answer there. Other than that, let's see. I mean, Brandon Clark was awesome. Yeah. I think he, I, th- I think he won summer league MVP and probably justifiably so. Part of that was that they were winning, but I thought he was really good. I'm looking to see if I, my memory jogs a little bit. Um, I thought Nikhil Alexander Walker was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um. I wrote about him a little bit actually at Dime, just the, just kind of being te- not 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 surprised because I, I liked him in the draft too, um, but someone who just kind of really popped when I watched him play in a fairly small sample size. Um, let's see who else did I like that I thought played well. Um, Carson Edwards played well, I thought. Non rookies, there weren't a ton of guys that were like that were really there. That I mean, other than Jared Allen, who just was violently overqualified. There yeah. weren't a lot of non-rookies that were there that really impressed me, unless I'm just forgetting someone offhand. Um, yeah, what about Lonnie, you? Walker, 
Yeah, Lonnie Walker didn't play much, but he was awesome. And oh, yeah, his was, brief stint, that's true. Yeah. But what was noteworthy to me was when they drafted him, he did not know how to play basketball at all. And now he knows that like, he knows. He looks like a guy who knows completely how to play basketball, which is not a shocker given that he was Spurs. It was like Frank uh, Jackson having having 30 points in his one summer league game, too. Like He was like, all right, we've seen enough of you, Frank. Uh, yeah, <laughs> shut it down. That, it's like he showed none of that at, at Duke at all. So, no. like, I mean, uh, Anthony uh, Simons had a couple nice games. He did. Um, I didn't get to see him play. I had like just two or three commitments that week, and they were all the commitments for when he was playing. But he's also, really blocked in Portland, which is unfortunate, um, but he's yeah. talented. He can play. I think they want him to play the third guard this year. That's that's why we moved up from Seth. But one of the things that really jumped out to me was Bruce Brown, how far he's come as a point guard for Detroit. He was just, he was too good for summer league. And I've I, I always didn't... liked Bruce Brown, but yes, he was violently overqualified for summer league. Like his defense is kind of well documented. He's really good on that end of the floor, but the fact that he was, and again, it's summer league. Um, but I agree, he looked really good. Um, and in that same realm of like guys who didn't need to play as much as they did, why is Miles Bridges played like five games? I think for Charlotte, yeah. and I was like, why? Why is he still playing? I don't understand. Well, what was what, he yeah. right now? Yeah, he's probably just to try to get the fan base excited about something, and but then <laughs> I guess the, the the guy that was like kind of a nobody and Elise Johnson for the Pacers, man. I I remember I was writing live that his draft class I think two years ago I think it was, yep. and I had like all these draft profiles ready like three to four sentences, and when he was picked, he was the first one. I was like, I don't know who this dude is. I didn't have anything ready at all. And I didn't really notice him last year being very good, but he, when he played, he was dominant on the offensive glass. He was knocking down three-point shots. So as a guy that – if you ask me, like, there's two guys that nobody's talking about or maybe even has no awareness of them, Elise Johnson uh, – actually, it's Elise Johnson. I'm trying to learn that. I, think, I, think it might, I think it might be Alize. I don't even know how to say his name, but it's yeah. like and then And then a guy to keep an eye on for the Hawks, Kendrick Nunn, um, played point guard and win games for the Heat when – um, when Tyler Tyler Harrow didn't play, they didn't fall off at all. <laughs> and so that says a lot about him. And he's on a non-guaranteed contract. I think the Heat have until August 1st, until the next um, sum of money guarantees at that point in time. Um, I think a lot of whether or not he makes that roster will depend upon if um, Dragon is on the roster when you know, when the season starts. Because he definitely looks like a, a... If I had to take my choice of a guy who doesn't have a guaranteed contract... Um, right now, as a young guy for the Hawks to look at a point guard, he'd be my my first pick. But yeah, Bruce Brown and Alizé Johnson, however you say that, are are the guys that jumped out at me. Uh, I mean, Boston had a bunch of good players too, but we don't have to go through that. But anyway, yeah, plugging. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll check out my work at P Street Hoops. Very much enjoy being part of the team that that covers the Hawks. They're really proud of what we do there. Um, but my the podcast that my twin brother Greg and I, who also is a contributor to P Street Hoops. Full Court Press NBA podcast. We call it that because we try to cover all 30 teams as equally as we can at, at the tail end of the season and postseason. Obviously, that's not completely possible. Um, but yet, for example, we have a spreadsheet, and you know, we if we're ready to talk about the Lakers again, but we haven't hit on even like a team like Orlando. We're going to hit on Orlando before we get back. So you know, just that doesn't um, that it. We're not going for like the huge listenership. We're trying to offer something a little bit different than like the national narratives that are everywhere else. And I love those podcasts that, that cover those. You know, um, I listen to all of them. It's not saying that those are bad, but Greg and I have a, a coaching background. He still runs a pretty robust AU program. Um, I don't know how he has time to watch NBA basketball and keep up with <laughs> uh, at all. It's pretty impressive. He, I mean, he's a really good coach. I, I try to go learn too times a year to, to see him. I'm always impressed what he's added to his own coaching. So he's a 
a lot of fun to podcast with. He's a really smart, smart guy. We try to kind of hit X's and O's and things like that, more the technical things. Um, but you know, if that interests you, then check it out. From Court Press NBA Podcast, we're about to start up this week our uh, off-season series where we hit two teams a week, um, kind of updating and refreshing what they did and what we think about that. Yeah, it's definitely worth a subscription and a listen. I enjoy you guys and uh, all the stuff that you do. And for everybody else, please check those guys out um, on the podcast and also peacetreeups.com where uh, I am happy to edit them and uh, enjoy the process over there as well. Glenn, thank you for joining me, man. Uh, again, I said this at the beginning, but I think you probably watch more summer league basketball than almost anybody, which is uh, – not, not, not even your job. Like you, I, I can tell you with confidence, you watch a lot more summer league basketball than a lot of people do that were that are professional writers that were in Las Vegas. So, um, yeah. I, I trust your opinion implicitly. It's, it's right in my sweet spot. I enjoyed it. I actually stayed a day longer than I planned uh, because there was like a player or two that I hadn't seen. So if that makes me like the ultimate uh, summer league nerd, I'll, I'll, I'll embrace that. Um, but uh, thanks for having me back, Brad. Always uh, love talking basketball with you. Yeah, man, we'll do it again very soon. And as for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast, rate, review on the platform of your choice. And we'll be back again later in the week.